0: Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz. This week's Grand Rounds session is dedicated to exploring alternative treatment approaches for depression, presented at the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians, or ACOFP. Let's tune in. On behalf of the program committee and ACOFP leadership, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Richard Cottrell, He is a native to Florida. He's a graduate of Nova Nova Southeastern College of Osteopathic Medicine. He did his psychiatry residency at University of New Mexico. Member of FOMA, American Psychiatric Association, Florida Psychiatric Society, and the Greater Tampa Tampa Bay Psychiatric Society. He is past president of the Pinellas County Osteopathic Medical Society and the recipient of the Pinellas County Osteopathic Medical Society's 2011 Physician of the Year Award. He will be giving a presentation today on alternative approaches to the treatment of depression and mood disorders. So please welcome Dr. Richard Cottrell. Well, thank you for that kind introduction. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? I am Florida born and raised. I grew up having an alligator as a pet. That's always fun. And I'd like to thank the college for having me here to speak today. Some of the things we'd like to accomplish today. Define major depression. You all see it every day. You have a very good sense of what it is. Present the global disease burden presented by major depression. Review the standard treatment options. Highlight options for treatment-resistant major depression and introduce alternative approaches. The official DSM-IV diagnostic uh, criteria for major depression is five or more of the following nine symptoms being present for the same two-week period. Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Markedly diminished interest or pleasure in almost all activities. Significant weight loss. Insomnia nearly every night. Psychomotor agitation nearly every day. Fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. And those can be a little confusing. People sometimes think, well, how can you be fatigued and still agitated? There are people who don't feel as if they can accomplish much during the day, but yet you can't go to sleep because there's just stuff on your mind. You keep tossing and turning, and you just don't seem to be able to relax. Uh, But yet to be uh, productively active seems beyond them. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Diminished ability to think or concentrate and recurrent thoughts of death, not just fear of dying. This can be worsened to a suicidal ideation, suicidal ideation with a, with a plan, and also a suicide attempt. That's the paper definition of these emotions. But how do these emotions feel to people? Starting with some positive emotions. Gleeful, jovial, engaging, warmth. This is how emotions feel. This is what we experience. For depression, the emotions are, can be very different. Loneliness despair, and desperation. This is the life of depressed folks. Why is this important? Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide, as measured by the years lived with disability. I was surprised with this. I see depression every day, so I am biased as to how important this is. But you can look at any objective data you want and you can find this. The World Health Organization defines depression as the leading cause of disability worldwide. Maybe in, in industrialized countries, I, I wasn't so surprised, but we're talking about the world where they still have polio, they still have malaria. And depression is the leading cause of global disease burden in the ages of 15 to 44 by the disability-adjusted life year. The years of 15 to 44, it's important to, to kind of get a grasp on that. This is when people are in, in school, middle school, going on to, to high school, continuing their college careers or beginning their work, work life. This is when people are be- be- making romantic attachments, starting businesses, w- uh, climbing the work ladder. 15 to 44 is a huge chunk of time, and it is the predominant time frame by which people uh, finish their, or complete their education, start their work world, work towards their, their retirement, begin families, and raise those families. 15 to 44 is a huge period of time. And depression is the leading cause of global disease burden. And yet we hear so little about it. In this entire conference, this is going to probably be the only presentation you'll have reflecting this. And yet the the disease burden is huge. Mortality, one million suicides worldwide. For each uh, completed suicide, there are 20 attempts, genuine attempts. This isn't just a, a, a teenager with a first failed romance who's taken three or four Tylenols out of Desperation to, to make a statement to family. This is people who have genuinely tried to kill themselves, and did not succeed. During the duration of this presentation, ninety people will become dead from suicide. Ninety people will lose their loved ones, their spouses, their children, their brothers and sisters. Suicide doesn't come in just one flavor. There are several different uh, steps through it. Nearly everyone has had thoughts of not continuing in their time frame, where if they just didn't wake up in the morning, that'd be okay. Life is hard. Life is exhausting. That's pretty common. Suicidal ideation is when somebody starts to feel they might want to do something active in their life. Suicidal ideation with a plan is when they have a, a rope in the trunk and a certain date that means something to them and a tree picked out. And then an actual suicide attempt is, of course, the pinnacle of that. It's like preaching to the choir, a family practice. You all know depression. You see it every day. You have hundreds of patients that are depressed, and you've seen thousands of people in appointments where depression was the predominant issue. Over half of all the outpatient care in this country for depressed, depression is provided by family, family practitioners. It is a very common condition seen in primary care. These are estimates. Ten percent of all the primary care office visits are almost exclusively for depression, and they often present to primary care with other issues, insomnia, anxiety, aches everywhere, unable to complete the workday. This has been an, an age-old issue. How medical is major depressive disorder? Is it just uh, a, a lack of, of, of character? Is it laziness? Try to put that issue to, to rest. In comparing the medical or genetic or the heritable features of any illness, we like to compare the natural rate of occurrence in the population compared to fraternal f- twins compared to identical twins. For anybody who has, uh, wants to know where to put major depression on that... On that um, scale, major depression is, has been found to be far more inheritable, implying a genetic or medical piece to it, than Alzheimer's, hypertension, diabetes, breast cancer, or rheumatoid arthritis. If you feel those are medical illnesses, you must accept, or it would make sense to logically accept the idea that major depression is just not because somebody doesn't want to push forward in life. The de- depression treatment options, we're all familiar with the antidepressants. We've probably been detailed multiple times by numerous drug reps on the different antidepressant medications. And they are helpful. The, these are the first line treatment options in general considered to be that uh, antidepressant medications therapy. There's several types of therapies and we'll touch on each one of them briefly. Exercise can be helpful, it's not pushed enough. I you know I'm very grateful to see that we as physicians are pushing that more and more as time goes on. We're making it known to our patient population that exercise can have positive benefits. The antidepressant medications taken as a whole, they're FDA approved to treat major depressive disorder. They are amazingly similar to each other, amazingly similar. When the patient says, well, give me the best one, you have about 20 that are all best. They differ by secondary effects, whether they're sedating, whether they help with smoking cessation, a variety of other things, and there are cost differences that can be quite important to patient population. And each one is the best choi- choice for someone. I really have prescribed a nearly equal amount of all of them and have found that each one has its place. I can touch briefly on the uh, goods and the bads of each one that, are, that make them stand out from the rest of the group. They are all FDA approved and they all do help someone. The one that's been around, uh, the new generation that has been around the longest is, is uh, fluoxetine, touching on, the, on in general the goods of it. It's activating, it is uh, weight neutral or perhaps even contributing to weight loss. People are very sensitive to weight. On occasion you can have excessive sim- stimulation and the cost should be minimal, it's, uh, that's generic. Sertraline, it has improved frustration tolerance which is amazing and it seems to be a little bit of a standout in that arena. Life is frustrating, there are numerous things that are frustrating that shouldn't be as they are and as, our, as we find as life goes on that our efforts to change those things have come to naught. So it becomes just sort of a, an idea of having one boss that says do this job one way, another boss that says do the job another way, you can't get anybody to sit down and decide how it actually should be done. People take these things to bed with them and think about them and lose sleep, and and this actually helps them to kind of giggle about it as they go through the day, and to ignore both bosses and just do the job as best they can. On occasion, people can have loose stools with with uh, Zoloft, Sertraline. So, Talipram's generic. It's weight neutral. It is the poster child for inexpensive. People can get three months' worth of Celexa for $10 at Target. It's hard for people not to afford that where there are some that are considerably more expensive. And it can contribute some to GI upset. Lexapro, very similar, not exactly the same. It is not a generic equivalent, but it is similar. It is, has just recently gone generic, and it has, for some people, it can have less side effects, less upset, and it tends to be weight neutral. Paroxetine is good for anxious depression. It has slipped into a different category, a worse category for pregnancy. So you have to watch out for people in the childbearing years. It can have some sedation, some memory difficulties, and it has gotten apparently quite famous on the, on the internet as being one that you do not want to stop abruptly. So if you're going to use this one, which is a, still a good one, you want to caution the patient that they should uh, taper this one. If they stop a, a high dose of Paxil or proxetine quickly, they'll probably be calling you up and complaining about a variety of side effects. Trazodone is an antidepressant, but we use it mostly for sleep. It's a, kind of a simple and inexpensive sleep, sleeping medication, and it does last a fairly long period of time, so the duration is good for sleep. If you prescribe trazodone, you want to have in your charts a discussion of priapism. If you don't and that happens, that's uh, that can be a legal issue. Nifazodone is, is an old one but a good one. It is still available. Beneficial. It's good for sleep. It helps with anxiety. It can have excessive sedation and a couple of rare side effects, of hepatotoxicity. You don't see it prescribed very often anymore because of these, and I think it was on TV for uh, if you've ever take taken serozone, call it this attorney's number, and so we as doctors tend to shy away from that. Duloxetine is a good one. It does seem to significantly help with, uh, with pain. It's not just made up. I, I, at first it was uh, well advertised for that, and it does seem to be a standout in that arena. It is name brand, so the cost can be inhibitive to some people. Vinlafaxine has uh, a generic equivalent, or, or it might be that all formulations are now generic, and you have to watch blood pressure with that one. It, it's otherwise a, a great antidepressant. Pristique is, is kind of a new one. It has some less side effects uh, compared to the Fexer or Venlafaxine, and it, ha- it is a uh, name brand still. Vibrid uh, is new, uh, the newest of the new. It is important to take this one with food. It's important to use the uh, introductory packets you have uh, samples of so that people can increase it slowly, and it is name brand. Bupropion uh, has also been used for smoking cessation, it's a different category than the serotonin agents or the norepinephrine serotonin agents. It's mostly norepinephrine and dopamine. It is somewhat activating. So, if a person's predominantly anxious and depressed, it may not be the best choice unless you also have something for anxiety. Rare side effect of sweating. I did have a patient who had excessive sweating with this one and had to switch just for that. And in terms of the medical legal front, if you Prescribe bupropion, you're going to want to mention in your notes that you discussed the, the rare but existing seizure risk. Mirtazapine is a, is a good one, tetracyclic. It improves sleep. I have have had times when I've encouraged people to see it as something that helps with sleep so much that they end up taking it a couple times a week. Unlike trazodone, this one is more for depression. It does help with sleep, but you've got to impress upon them that it's an every-night medication or, yes, yeah, usually bedtime. Uh, there can be excessive sedation on occasion, and it is fairly common for a weight gain, so you've got to watch out for that with folks. The tricyclics I can present as a, as a group, as a, the older group, pre-Prozac era, Elevil and afranil uh, norpramine They can have some cardiac effects. There can be some sudden cardiac deaths, and it can be lethal in overdose. That's why we shy away from it. In terms of efficacy, none of the newer medications beat the tricyclics. It's just the side effect profile. The monoamine oxidase inhibitors, Uh, The newest version of that was MSAM. They were even before the tricyclics, and they can have some tyramine-induced hypertensive crises. so we in general avoid that or leave it to the last choice. Those were the medications. Now therapy, very important therapy. It's probably, for most depressed and anxious patients, as important as the medications. You want to encourage it or make a direct referral, it's important to uh, impress upon the patient how this can be critical. The therapy part can be very, very important. Usually it's provided by the PhDs, PsyDs, or master's level folks. They're given much more time, and they aren't expected to do any of the medication management, so it's much easier for them to provide the therapy. There are several distinct types of therapy. Just an overview. Faith-based therapy, very, very important, very, very helpful, and some patients strongly want to go this direction. It speaks about how the good books of the world's religions have outlined our lives and how we should follow those different routes and, and and they are in general very well written and speak to how we can expect to be knocked down in life but that we have to pick ourselves up and brush ourselves off and, and go forward. It doesn't, they don't promise, none of them promise things will be easy and things are not easy. Uh, church-based, synagogue or mosque and it's often less costly. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a very... Recent introduction. It's actually been around for decades, but it's thought of as being recent. It is about our cognitive behavior. It's about our thoughts and our behaviors. You start off, and it's very effective for panic disorder. Very effective for depression. About where our minds take us. Our minds are powerful creatures, and misery and despair is spoon fed to us by the media, the radio, and the TV. You watch the news before you go to bed, and it tells you how more of our soldiers have died in Afghanistan, how the bird flu is going to come and kill us all, how the stock market's crashed. Now go to sleep and have a good night. And we may not want to go to sleep that way. We want, want to take an opportunity to purposely remind ourselves that there are these stressors in our life, but we also have good things in our life. We have family. We have health. We have a roof over our head. And it becomes a, it becomes a, a weight on us to make sure that we balance the news we get every day, that we balance our cognitions so that we know that there are good things. It is time-limited, cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of the research on that is like once-a-week therapy time, an hour, for three months. So you're talking about 12 hours uh, of time, and they expect significant benefits in that time frame. So it isn't kind of ongoing where you're getting therapy for 10 years and you're getting to know your inner child or whatever. This is a person taking people who are... Uh, Disabledly depressed, and moving them to the point where they can return to work and return to their lives in a, in a three-month time frame. Positive psychology is the, the newest irradi- irradiation of cognitive behavioral therapy. All of what we do in medicine, or much of what we do in medicine, is studying the disease state. We, just, the, we study the disease state of the pancreas or the heart or the brain. And positive psychology strives to see what it is in our lives that make us um, enthusiastic and and how we can grow as people and how next year or next week can be better than this week. Stresses of positive experiences, positive traits, character strengths, values and talents, and uses this as a therapy. This is is reasonably new. There's a master's program now in Philadelphia uh, being offered on a master's degree in positive applied psychology, and the the, um, graduates are being snapped up by industry so far. They haven't even made it to the uh, community so that our patient populations can benefit. It focuses on what is good about life, as genuine as is what is bad in life, and we should serve that by giving genuine resources and research towards what those things are. It is also time limited. They're expecting to make benefits and improvements in people's world, and it seems to be the one that can take people from a mediocre life to a point where they will reflect that the last three months, the last year has been the best of their entire life, and that's a noble goal. Supportive therapy is what you usually find out there. It's kind of the easiest to do. It can be very long-ranging. People can go on for months or years seeing a therapist, and they just sort of chat. It's, no, it's, it's helpful enough for some people, but for other people, it's probably not a real efficient use of their time. And, and if you have a strong family or a lot of friends or a bartender, <laughs> you may get this for free already. Psychodynamic psychotherapy is a little bit dated. It is very intellectual. Uh, it, it talks about uh, the chess game kind of world where everything's interrelated and, and meanings, things have meanings. And uh, a lot of times it's looked at as two sessions, two hours a week. There is a significant cost to this. And when I think of this, I think of Woody Allen is a, a wealthy person who just wants to over-evaluate everything, over-intellectualize everything. Exercise, I mentioned earlier. 20 minutes of brisk walking three times a week seems to be wonderful. Hard to find time for that for all of us. We're busy. But when people do it, and many people, have, or most people, have done it at least for a while, they'll usually reflect back and say, Yes, that was a very beneficial thing. I remember, I remember a year ago when I did that and I felt better. It's, the thing is, is to make it part of our, our ongoing routine. It has a positive impact towards depression, it has a positive impact on everything. I don't think I've ever seen a piece of research that had exercise, uh, moderate exercise as being negative in any way, shape, or form. It's good for anxiety, insomnia, hypertension, obesity, diabetes, it's good for everything. And we are pushing this more, I'm proud to see it. Treatment-resistant depression options. There are, as speaking about monotherapy earlier, now we can speak about what antidepressants to add to other antidepressants. Many of you probably have patients who have been on everything and have been on combinations of everything and you wonder where to go next. Uh, antidepressant combinations is uh, one of the next steps, and atypical antipsychotics, uh, instead of adding an antidepressant onto an antidepressant, that's adding an antipsychotic onto an antidepressant uh, or an atypical antipsychotic. The STAR-D trial, Sequenced Treatment Alternatives to Relieve Depression Study, a big National Institute of Health and National Institute of Mental Health Study from 2006, helps to guide us a lot on this. It was actually specifically formul- formulated to try to provide information for family doctors. One thing we can take from that, and this is a kind of important number to to hold on to for a little while, after the first trial of an antidepressant, switching to a second trial of monotherapy, a second antidepressant, yielded about a 21.2% likelihood of achieving remission. So a failed attempt, second attempt at a single antidepressant is about a 21.2% success rate. The START-E trial seemed to favor citalopram and mirtazapine or venlafaxine and mirtazapine, Citalopram and mirtazapine are are a good combination. They're both generic. They're both well-tolerated. They're both helpful. One's very good for appetite and sleep. One's very good for depression, and they're both very good for depression. Other combinations are are, uh, any of the SSRIs or SNRIs, which is uh, your Prozac, Zoloft, or Venlafaxine, Cymbalta, or Pristique, plus mirtazapine. Or you can add uh, that same group, the SSRIs or the SNRIs. You can add uh, Wilbutrin or Repropion to any of those and, those, and are, there are benefits with that. The atypical antipsychotics are, uh, Abilify and Seroquel are FDA approved as augmentation to antidepressants. There's a specific list of the antidepressants that it says they can augment. I, I would imagine you can add them to any of the antidepressants. There is a product, uh, Symbiacs, that is already a combination agent. It's fluoxetine and olanzapine. With, the, with adding an atypical antipsychotic to an antidepressant, you're looking at about a 10% response rate compared to the 21% response rate we just mentioned a, a bit ago. There can be a significant cost to this. It, it, it's, t- they tend to be expensive. They are all name-brand or, or Abilify and Circle are still name-brand, so the, the cost can be noticeable to patients. I have had a fair amount of patients who you, I prescribe these to, and, and then the pharmacy calls back and says that the patient doesn't, isn't going to fill this because of the cost. There can be side effects, the weight gain. The same side effects we're warned of uh, with using atypical antipsychotics with the nursing home population, um, weight gain, elevated blood sugar, akathisia, uh, rarely, thankfully, tardive dyskinesia, and neuroleptic malignant syndrome. But they do help 10% of people, and for those 10%, they will thank you over and over and over again. Other alternatives. There's bright light therapy, transcranial magnetic stimulation, electroconvulsive therapy, vagus nerve stimulation, and deep brain stimulation. These are the ones many physicians have not heard that much about. That's mainly why we're here today. Bright light therapy is usually spoken about as being 15 to 30 minutes of light exposure. The timing of the exposure depends on what your objectives are. Typically for depression, and that's what we're talking about today, is in the morning. Basically when the patient's first awake, whatever time that would be. If you are looking to use it for other things, such as sundowning or jet lag or sleep phase disruptions or people who have uh, shift work where half the week they work at night and they sleep during the day and the rest of the week they want to try to be in phase with the rest of their family, you might use it differently. But in general, for depression, you're talking about in the morning, you might find benefits as little as one week. And in general, the light and the medications work best in combination. So this is an add-on therapy. This is an augmenter Also, when you have a person who may be getting some benefit from medication, you don't want to withdraw the medication and introduce bright light therapy at the same time. You don't know what, if it goes well, you don't know exactly what happened, and if it goes badly, you're not sure if it's because you took away the medication. It's best at least to to go through the initial trial with the medication on board, and later on, if things are doing well enough, then you can withdraw the medication. No trouble with that later. The bright light therapy isn't just a GroLux or something like that. It's very specific. The research is very specific. 10,000 lux is better than uh, 5,000 lux, and what we have in the room lights uh, are about 250 to 600 lux. Not very powerful at all. So 10,000 lux is what you're looking for in a product that you might suggest to a patient. They, they really need to get the 10,000 lux um, light exposure. Natural light is about 12,000 lux at dawn and 100,000 lux in the noon. So this, while this is bright and it's defined as bright light therapy, it, you know, the daytime light at, at noon is, is brighter. So this isn't gonna burn a hole in their head or anything like that, it is bright though. And they don't really want to stare right into it uh, just from a few inches away. Bright light improves, improves vitality, alleviates distress even in healthy people. They have tried bright light in the workplace, they have tried bright, bright light in nursing homes and they find that sundowning is dramatically reduced, uh, can improve, improve mood and energy. Fitness training in bright light seems to be better. They have uh, less depressive symptoms in general, not defined as major depression, but just they're happier. The bright light box looks like a, a, a an x-ray reading box. it's reasonably bright, but uh, you can see the person's just oriented to it in general for um, for my patients i i the the, the length uh, the, the distance between the person and the light box is is perfect it's nice you, you, I usually have them have it though a little bit off to the side uh, to their left or right, and they can do. uh, write checks for bills or they could do some business in the morning and have it a little bit incidental to them. They don't have to actually stare right into it like this. But that's basically the idea. Most of the light devices I've seen have a a three-pronged, so you want to look for a three-pronged outlet, it has to be grounded. And uh, they are, I've got one or two of them and they've been working for a decade. Why not natural light, especially in Florida? I'll have patients say, you know what, doc, it's the sunshine state. Why do I have to have a light box? Well, the correct timing is a little difficult. They, a person can essentially get out of bed and be in their pajamas and write up bills for 15 minutes or a half an hour or take care of paperwork or whatever and, and sit in their room or their house and, and have the comfort of that and get the timing down. By the time they actually get around to it to be exposed to natural light, it might be in the afternoon, and if they're having difficult, uh, difficulties with their circadian rhythms, you can have, you can worsen that. If, they, if a person expo- is exposed for the first time in the day to a decent amount of sunlight in the afternoon, their body's going to think that's dawn. And then the bo- their body's going to want to play the rest of the day out according to that. Also, the de- uh, the ability to do this consistently. There's rain, there's heat, there's, sh- there's snow not around here, and we have hurricanes. So there can be disruptions, uh, f- could be frequent disruptions. In the summer, it's Kind of too hot to go out in Florida in the morning before you start your day. Certain amount of privacy to it. You might have difficulty walking around your neighborhood in the morning in your slippers and your pajamas. Neighbors might think you're kind of odd. Also, natural light, the sun, has ultraviolet exposure, and as we know, skin cancer risk can go along with that. But if a person can routinely and safely, and, and with some amount of privacy, be exposed to the, the sun uh, on a near daily basis in the morning when it would best behoove them, that's still fine, it's, it's no problem at all. Side effects are minimal and usually very transient, head, sometimes headaches, eye strain, occasionally feeling wired. It's hard to have a lot of side effects specific to a bright light therapy when the everyday sun is so much brighter. So if they have, head, if they have difficulty with this, they may, may, may need to work at night and sleep all day. And if you don't do it right timing wise, they can, can disrupt their sleep. Some of the benefits of using the light box is in comparison. There are no ultraviolet exposure. There has been no evidence of retinal damage, and there have been no reports of medication-induced photosensitivity reactions. It seems to be safe. It can be used in the treatment of mood disorders, usually in addition to an antidepressant medication. It's found to be safe, readily available, and inexpensive. And the research base is immense. In a way, bright light therapy is is the indication to show us how much influence the industry has on us. This is research-proven, it's research-based, it is undeniably beneficial, but I'm guessing that because people don't come to our offices and promote these, we use this little and we use some other things that may not be as effective every day. The prices have been dropping. I saw something on Amazon that was 10,000 lux the other day for less than $100. Free shipping, PayPal. (laughs) Use your credit card, get extra points. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation, After a short break.